Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's good to be here tonight again. I hope you're all doing okay, having a, had a decent week. And um, it's good just to see and to sense the hunger of the Lord just in the room these nights as we're gathering and, and Sunday nights. Um, uh, we, we're going to continue on this a series over the next few weeks. I'm not quite sure how long for, and there will be other people speaking over the next couple of weeks and stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm just, again, trying to sort of set us up for where I think the Lord is, is taking us at the moment. Um Basically, <coughs> we've felt that we should continue um, on this series of moving towards a kind of revival dynamic, being renewed as God's people. We um, I suppose, just to be frank about it, we sense the fires of revival being stirred in our hearts at the moment and in the house. And um, I suppose that's quite important. I think we feel specifically in this house, we feel the fires of revival are being stirred and... Um, we don't want to call things things before they're not, give things the appropriate language that they're due. Um, but we do feel like that renewing work in the process of revival is happening in the church at the moment. And um, uh, sometimes when that kind of thing happens, it's hard to know exactly how to just do a normal, if that's what I put it, sermon series. And so we want to um, just continue to hear the Lord in these moments and uh, to respond to what he's doing amongst us. So we feel that we're being called to a deep refining work, a deep purification of our hearts, um, a rending of our hearts. And we feel like each week we as leaders are trying to discern how we pour some more fuel, if you like, on the fire of what the Lord is stirring and how can we be sensitive to that. And particularly since the start of this year, 2020, um, we sense the Holy Spirit call us to a new place of consecration, a new place of being set apart and holiness. Um, that realization I talked about last week of being s- s- set apart, sanctified by the Lord, uh, to allow Him to um, to allow God's Spirit through His presence, you know, to penetrate our hearts, to strip from us the kind of ways that we just get overly familiar with church and with the Lord. Um, I know being brought up in the church pretty much all my life, um, what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls smug contentment can kind of start to creep in. It's like, a, as, as Pete Gregg says, we become more kind of concerned with our Ikea kind of house than we do with the um, presence of the Lord. We just get over-familiar. And it's not like other things in life aren't important. Sometimes just an entitlement over familiarity creeps in and we need disrupted by the Lord. We need disrupted in the right kind of way by his presence. That's what the prophetic voice and the word of the Lord does to us. It's not just here. It is here to kind of caress our hearts and souls, but it's also here to collide with us in the right sense of the word. And so we feel like the Lord is is speaking to us about that and a burning love for Jesus, which results in our transformation into more of his likeness and also the transformation in the world around us will be a result. We feel like that's what Jesus died for. He sanctified himself in order that we might be set apart to become like him. As we said last week, Jesus is holy on our behalf. He's cleansed us from our past, but he set himself apart so we can become all that he died for, which is to become like him 
and to partner with him in his dream for the world to transform nations and cities and towns and villages. And so I guess what, I, what we've been looking at just could be summed up in this sentence. We feel like the Holy Spirit is constraining us. He's kind of weighty upon us at the moment, not really allowing us to move beyond where we're at so that he may consecrate us, set us apart in order that he may captivate us again with the beauty of Jesus. Um, and, uh, and so a major part of this consecration process is um, a major part of the setting ourselves apart is returning to a very primal and a very passionate and a very real and a very authentic and a very burning love for Jesus. Because real holiness looks like Jesus. Real holiness looks like love. And so we need to get the kind of wrong senses of holiness out of our head, you know? Like, you know, we think that like holiness is external often, don't we? It's kind of fuddy-duddy goody two-shoes, sort of maybe some kind of posh form of like religious life. And the reality is we're just all normal, ordinary people who like burp and like, like, you know, just do random silly things, right? So let's kind of keep the thing real, okay? But in the midst of that, right, Jesus loves us. And holiness looks like Jesus's love, which looks like a life that gives itself away. There's something beyond itself. It looks like a beautiful thing. It looks like the beauty of Jesus. That's what holiness is. And Jesus wants to set us apart. And so if you want to get holy, you've got to let the love of Jesus burn you up. And like the, like the, um, like the, like the what do you call it? The bush. That's the word I was looking for. The burning bush in Moses, you know. The thing that was just, so amazing and unique about this particular burning bush, because there's loads of burning bushes, it's a desert for goodness sake, you get lots of bushes that just burn up, but this one was burning, but it wasn't consumed. Exodus chapter 3. That's what this great sight was. This bush is burning, but it's not consumed. It's not being destroyed. Jesus wants to burn you up without destroying you. It's nothing about the Christian life is boring, nor it shouldn't be, Right? be a raging fire shot up in your bones, right, that won't destroy you, but will set you on fire, will change the world. And so we feel God is calling us back to these first things to love Jesus, these fundamental things of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, white hot love for Jesus. And so this uh, scripture has been really important for us as we go into these next few weeks. I read it last week, but let me read it again, because this is really what we're centering all we're saying on around. I think I have to point it this way, apparently. Yeah. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? So this is the words of Jesus. To the angel in the church over Ephesus, right? Another sermon there for another day. But Jesus is speaking to an angel over the church in a region, in a city, right? And he's saying to that church, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. This is what he says to the church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have pers persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in this room tonight that would like to have something that Jesus could say, he's holding something against us? 
Jesus says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And he goes on to say a few other things. But I want us to really focus on this particular part. Consider the things. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. And so I suppose as a church, we feel like just over the next few weeks and over this season, I think as an eldership, we talked about this as elders um, in Lurgan a couple of weeks ago, last time we met. We just felt the Lord really constrain us around are we as elders, as leaders, are we doing first things first? Are, are, are we as a church being called to do the first things? Because <clears throat> generally speaking, we'd have to say that the church in the Western world has needs to consider how far it's fallen. Needs to consider how far it's fallen below the standard of the life of Jesus and what he calls us to. And we've created a whole host of paraphernalia, both in the institutional church and in the new church. We've created a whole host of kind of stuff or fluff around the edges, often to make us feel like we're actually doing some stuff, when we're, for the most part, pretty ineffective. It's generally speaking in the church. And God is calling a people who will do the first things first. And so we, we offered some of these things that we'll probably look at over the next few weeks. These are what I think are some of the first things. Do you love Jesus? I want to talk about that tonight. Do you love his word? Do you love it? Or do you need to ask Jesus to help you love it? Like to love his word. Or has that become one of those things that we just do because we're told we have to do it? Or do we, do we love it? Do we love his presence? Do we love his church? If you love it, you'll come. If you love it, you'll find a way to get involved. So these things we need to pray into our own hearts again. We need like almost a, a recalibration of our hearts, don't we? Like shock back into life. Do you, do you give? Do you give to God what already belongs to him or are you keeping it for yourself? These are the first things. Do you carry his burden for the loss? Do you expect a soon return? First one, do you love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? It seems to me that this is the most important question Jesus asks. In fact, <clears throat> when we get to heaven and we stand before Jesus, You can tell me when we get to heaven if I've been wrong. But you're probably not allowed to bet in heaven. But if it was a betting man, right, I would kind of bet that one of the first things that Jesus might say when we get to heaven, when he looks into our eyes, is, did you love me? And we're going to say, oh, yeah, 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 I went to church. I was brought up in a Christian home. Did the Bible in one year, once or twice. And Jesus might say, didn't ask you that. Did you love me? And granted, when you get to heaven, and particularly when you look into the eyes of Jesus, you can't lie. 
you know, I just wonder how much we're going to feel undone by that question. It seems to me the thing that the Lord wants to do in his church at the moment is more than anything else is burn. Burn his love into our hearts again. Because he wants us to love him like he loves us. And in this passage you just read in Ephesus, about the church in Ephesus, we see how fundamental this is to Jesus. If you were paying attention to that verse, you would have seen they were pretty good on doctrine. They were pretty good at kicking out false teaching. They were pretty good at perseverance. They were pretty good at kind of getting dig in, dug in and being committed. But one thing I hold against you. You've lost your first love. You've forsaken your first love. You're not as passionate as you used to be. You've got, you've got distracted. You don't, you don't love me like you first did. They've settled for a form more than they have the fire. And the Ephesus has grown into a pretty mature church, a pretty big church, resourced most of that particular region. The church in Ephesus is where Paul had centered his kind of base in Asia. Outside Antioch, Ephesus probably became the hub church of the region of Ephesus. It's a way of kind of Paul built church. And so they'd built pretty good structures and systems. Everything was pretty well set, mature looking church. People would have gone to it. People would probably have traveled to it. And, um, and I feel really, really challenged about this. Because I think God has called us to build a hub church, a resource church for this region. And I think he's given us wisdom and strategy of how to build structures and, and um, how to build people in order to serve the nation. And wouldn't it just be so, you feel the fear of the Lord a little bit around we could build all that. People could travel and see and be impressed with all their systems. <clears throat> but no matter how much people are impressed, Jesus could have something that he's holding against us. You've, you know, you've lost your first love. I would love, I, I'm, I'm living for a day when people will come to this church. And... Um, as we see more and more of the move of God's spirit, and as we witness, I, I'm praying and believing for the first fruits of revival. And when people come and they say to you, what's the secret sauce here? Why does this all work? How does it all work? Why are you seeing this all happen? Why are you seeing the supernatural? Why are you seeing people see I, I'd love just to be able to say, you just did the first things first. You just, you just did the first things first. It's, you, you can write a book if you want, but we'll probably just like be telling you the Bible, so that would be like plagiarism, right? We'd probably just write the Bible. We do, we do first things first around here, <clears throat> and it starts with loving Jesus. And you see, this has always been God's desire. It's always been God's desire that we would burn, we'd burn with His love, and we would commune with Him. We'd walk with Him in the cool of the day. We'd learn how to love Him like He loves us. That we'd be captivated in our hearts by His love and His beauty. And that would elicit praise from our, like a wellspring of worship that it would, that would draw out of us a wellspring of desire and love. The psalmist kind of caught a bit of a hold, hold of this when he said, you, God, and my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. 
I've seen you in your sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully, fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. The psalmist is enthralled <laughs> in the beauty and the wonder and love for Jesus. And throughout the Bible, <clears throat> it seems like God's people start by getting this a bit and then complicating it with man-made stuff, corrupting it with self-serving agendas and structures, and they lose. They lose their first love. They push that love to the side in order to maintain the system. You know, like even in church life, even in ministry life, we maintain systems so we can have like profile or authority or power. And love gets pushed to the side. And Jesus wants to, I believe tonight, I believe tonight, nobody's here by accident, and God wants to arrest every single one of our hearts, arrest our hearts with fresh love for Jesus. He wants to take hold of your heart and cause you to fall in love with him again, to burn with love for Jesus. A revival people will always come back to this. A revival people will always restore first love. They're always soaked and wrecked and undone by the love of God. They're so obsessed with it, it becomes an addiction. To be in the presence of God, to experience his love, to want it more and more. And when Jesus came to the world, he had to kind of dismantle the systems and structures that the religious had put up that had pushed the idea of love to the side. The system had moved away from love for God, which God had always set out throughout the Old Testament, and they had replaced it with performance before God in a way that had become self-centered and served itself more than it served God and the world, which God wanted to love. And so two passages I want us to look at quickly tonight. I'm, not, I'm just going to paraphrase the first one was when Jesus came to the house of one of the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 7, I think it is, yeah. And he came to the one, Simon the Pharisee, and he, it says he went into the Pharisee's house. Just, I haven't got this on the screen, so just listen to me as a paraphrase it. He went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. A woman in the city, it says, behold, she was a sinner, right? Luke wants you to know like this girl knew how to sin, okay? But when she knew that Jesus sat at the table... In the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet, behind him weeping. Now picture the scene. Picture the scene. All these kind of religious dudes talking theology, right? Which is really important, by the way. Theology is really, really important. But just like they're kind of doing it in probably some kind of smug way. And then there's this woman standing behind Jesus who's in the conversation, but she's standing behind him and she's just weeping. Tears coming down her face. She's got this alabaster box of fragrant oil. And she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. She wiped him with the hair on her head. She kissed his feet and anointed him with fragrant oil. The Pharisee who'd invited Jesus to his house says, if this man, if Jesus was really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman's touching him right now. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 pounds and the other 50. 
when they had nothing with which to pray, he freely forgave both of them. Tell me, who do you think will love him more? Interesting. Interesting the question Jesus asks. Who do you think what will what, what him more? Who do you think will no more? Who 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 will love him more? That's the question Jesus asks. Who's going to love him more? Simon says, <laughs> you can hardly, you can just see he's kind of gritting his teeth at this point. You can hardly get the words out. I suppose, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Jesus said, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. She washed my feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair on her head and you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet since the time I came in. And you didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed me and my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, so Jesus is even saying, this woman knows how to sin. Her sins who are many are forgiven. Why? And then it says this, verse 47, for she loved much. <laughs> how do you get in on this kingdom? Those that love much. Any sinners in here tonight? <laughs> no, seriously, like, any any sinners in here tonight? <laughs> one, there's one preaching. How? How do you get into this kingdom? Her sins, which are many, because she, she's forgiven because she loved, she loved much. So Jesus isn't as interested, he's not disinterested in how many sins you've done because he, he knows them. But his question to you isn't here to count them all up in front of you and read them out and expose you. His question is, do you love him? Jesus wants our love tonight. This beautiful passage, this woman who is a sinner, who sinned many times is the one who enters the kingdom, not the morally superior, entitled kind of one who's got all the right answers to all the right theology questions but feels that somehow they're more entitled to salvation than somebody else. But the broken, sinful woman who loved, who loved much. So the question tonight is, do you love much? Or do you not think you need that love because you haven't sinned as much as everybody else? He wants soft hearts. The revival, a revival people know that they've seen the Lord, they've sensed his presence, they've known the awe and fear of the Lord and they have, in response, they have loved, they have loved much. And just to prove this a little bit more, let me read this passage to you. Most of you will know this passage. But this is how John finishes the gospel, his gospel, John's gospel, funny enough, chapter 21. So this is post-resurrection. Jesus has appeared. I think this is the third time he's appeared to them after he went back to heaven in his post-resurrected body. And it says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Son, son of John said. He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Right? Peter was going to be crucified upside down. And Jesus is almost prophesying his death. <laughs> right? So Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him, and at the same time knowing him, it's going to cost Peter his whole life, his answer to this question. For the joy is set before him. Right? And I just think it's really, really interesting that John, who's written this incredible gospel, right? So John is the writer of the fourth gospel. And he's written this incredible gospel. He's telling us the stories, the parables of Jesus. He's telling us the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He's coming out with some of the most profound kind of theology that you can imagine. At the start, in the beginning, was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all of that. And then you think of bits like John 14, 15, 16, I am the vine, the branches, the Holy Spirit. You think of John 17 and the great prayer that he prayed before the Father. You think of this incredible gospel writer, and then he finishes his gospel with what I think is the essence of what Jesus is longing to know. by a recording, which the other Gospels don't, this incident with Peter. And it's the question that Jesus, I think, asks us all tonight. Do you love me? And we probably respond like Peter did the first time. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Of course I do. But then Jesus just can I ask you again, do you love me? <laughs> it's so deep, isn't it? It's so, it's so challenging. Because Jesus wants to see if Peter really loves him. This isn't a mere kind of like, you know the way you do on the end of a text message? Like, this isn't a mere kind of like emoji or memoji. Is that what you call them these days? Yeah. You should see mine, right? Um, this isn't a mere kind of love you, L-U-V, right? <laughs> right? This isn't like a mere we kind of like love you, chick. Love you. This is like, do you love me? It's a holy, it's a different word altogether, actually, in some ways. Do you agape, do you love me? It's like Jesus is saying to Peter, if you answer yes to this question, it's going to mean something. Because love looks like something. It's, it's going to change some things. It's probably going to mean that some other loves are going to have to be surrendered. It's probably going to mean you're going to have to reorder all your other loves. 
It's going to have to be seen in your behavior, which is why I'm asking you the question again. And if Jesus is asking you the question again tonight, is he? Can you hear it? Do you love me? This is a deep question. It's implying, the reason Jesus asked it three times is because it's implying, do you love me more than anything else? The other question that Jesus isn't asking, but because he's asking it three times, I think, is, is there something else that you love more than me? So there's your question tonight. Is there something else that you love more than Jesus? And you say, of course there isn't. And in our heads, we're probably the most of us are maybe saying that. Although some of us tonight are maybe very specifically being convicted because we know that there are things that we love more than Jesus. But there's also a whole raft of us here in the church who in our heads right away will say, yes, like Peter did. First answer, you know Jesus. You know we love you. We lead worship. We serve. We come to church. We do word for the day. We read Phil's devotionals. Do you love me? The question comes again. Because something will change when you do. Because everything changed in Peter's life, as we'll come to see. And in regard to Peter, and I think this is an important point tonight. In regard to Peter, it's obviously linked to the three times that Peter denied Jesus, right? Most of you have heard the sermons preached in that before. Peter, if you don't know that, denied Jesus three times. And Jesus is asking Peter, whatever it may be, 40, 50 days later, he's asking him three times, do you love me? But he's not asking him that in a kind of revengeful kind of way. It's not like Jesus is kind of right, I'm going to sort this guy out now. And for every time he hurt me, I'm going to go back at him again and make sure that he can feel shame over the three times that he betrayed me with swearing and um, kind of aggressive words. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. I feel like just, I feel this is for at least maybe one person tonight, but maybe more. Jesus is asking him three times, not because he's trying to get him back, but because he's trying to remind him that his love is greater than his sin, that his love is greater and the shame that he's feeling at that particular moment. Jesus is saying, I want to expose. It's going to hurt at the start, but I want to bring right into the light the thing that you feel most of failure about. And I want you to know that my love covers your sin. In fact, I'm not even specifically naming your sin right now because you know what it is, Jesus is saying. But what I do want you to know is I want you to feel the force of my love. Because the question I'm not asking is, tell me your sin. The question I'm asking is, do you love me? Because if you love me, then my love covers your sin. And so Jesus is asking him three times because he wants to go right down into the very essence of who Peter is. It feels in that moment like a complete failure because Peter has just done the thing that he never thought he would do. And every single one of us, probably at some point in our life, and if you haven't, you probably will at some point, you've probably done something at some point, right, that you never thought you would do. 
that's the worst. Because it's not really about, it is about God forgiving you, but that's not what you're struggling with. You're struggling with forgiving yourself because you never thought you would do it. And so here's Peter. If they all deny you, Jesus, not me, I'm top man. I will jump in there when everybody else denies you, when all those other kind of boys are skirty cats, yellow, all of that, when they all kind of run off, I'll be the one that will stick right by you, Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to have to pray for you. (laughs) Because before the night's out, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. And every single one of us in this room, some of you young people tonight, right, you need to deal with this tonight because the enemy wants you to carry the shame of that the rest of your life. And you've done something or you think something about yourself that's a complete lie. And Jesus is going right to the heart of that tonight. And here's what he says. He doesn't say it right. I want to psychoanalyze you now, so make sure you tell me the deepest, dirtiest, darkest thing. You know, that's not what he's doing. Here's what he asks you into that place tonight. Do you love me? I love you, I love you. But let's go a bit deeper here. Do you love me? You know everything, Jesus. You know that I love you. You know what? No, no, let's, let's get right to the very kind of core of where Jesus is. Let's go right to the heart of this thing. Let's go right to the very depths of the part of you that feels like a failure. Let's go right to the very heart of that shame. Let's crack that one tonight. Let's open that one up tonight. And let's allow the love of Jesus like a hot pouring liquid to flow down into the very depths of your being. And to wash it all away. Because his love covers a multitude of sins. I really feel that's for someone tonight. Because Jesus is saying, do you trust my love over all the ways that you're trying to deal with what you're dealing with? Because here's what Peter did. Peter thought, I know Jesus is rose from the dead and I don't feel quite just as bad, you know. I don't feel quite just as bad now because, um, like, it wasn't my death, or sorry, it wasn't my betrayal that ended it all, but he's still feeling a failure. So what does he do? He goes back to what he knows. He goes fishing. Just goes back to what he knows because at least he feels some kind of a success of fishing because he can do that. And every single one of us have got our own wee protective mechanism. We've got the own wee thing that we're kind of half good at that makes us feel, I can go back to that and do that. And I'll still believe in Jesus. I'll still go to church. I'll still thank him for what he's done. But I'll still carry around with me the rest of my life this kind of weight of, like, shame. I let him down. I did something I never thought I would do. And Jesus is like, Here's, here's the beauty of it, right? Isn't Jesus so kind? Isn't his grace so beautiful and compelling and wonderful? Because Jesus knows Peter's struggling with it. Jesus knows Peter's struggling with it. And in fact, if you were to read the whole passage, you'd see when John tells Peter, when they're out in the boat, that it's Jesus on the shore, he's out of the boat straight away. 
And all you can see, or all I can imagine, is this big, burly kind of fisherman wading through the sea, trying to get to Jesus. Because even though he doesn't want to have this particular encounter, he knows it's his only hope. And Jesus brings him to the side. And without shaming him, yeah, without shaming him, because God's not into shame. Without shaming him, he just go, okay, let's deal with this now. How, do, how does he deal with it? I'm, I'm being repetitive now, but I'm trying to get the point across. He deals with it through love, right? Because he asks him these three times, do you love me? And then, as I kind of try and bring this to a close tonight, not too much more, he actually says, do you love me more than these? So what I want to ask you tonight, I kind of already asked you this question. I feel like the Lord wants to maybe ask us this question. What does more than these mean to you? What are the more than these? Is it an ideal? Is it an ambition? For Peter, it could have been the fishing. Could have been like the thing he was good at. Maybe Jesus is calling you to challenging you. Is your career? Is your career more important? Do you love me more than that? <clears throat> do you love me more than your dreams? Here's the other thing. Actually, do you love me more than your failures? And the things that you're trying to do to get over your failures? Do you trust me more more than that? I think what Jesus was actually getting at, it could have been the fishing, it was actually the others. Because Peter was the leader. And Peter had a sort of sense of profile because he was the leader of the group. And Jesus said, Do you love me more than they do you love me more than your profile? Do you love me more than the function of being the leader of this new little church? Do you love me more than that? It's a good question to ask yourself. Do you love Jesus more than the community? It's really important to love the church. But do you love Jesus more than what you get out of the church? Because the, the enemy would like to tie you up in that one as well. <clears throat> so maybe for some of us tonight, <clears throat> we're loving the function of who we are, the profile of who we are more than Jesus. Whatever it is tonight, Jesus comes to us and he says, do you love me more than these? And at the heart of every revival is the people who have been arrested by God's presence and power in such a way that they are wholehearted in their love for Jesus. In the Azusa Street Revival, I've probably quoted this before, but this great guy, intercessor, Frank Barton man, describing the times that they had in the back streets of L.A., he said, we wanted God in those days. We did not have a thousand other things we wanted before him. That's what happens in these revival moments. People are undone by the love of Jesus. You find a people lingering in the presence of God. You find a people hungering after his presence. They've been undone by his love, and this results in holiness. It results in a change. For Peter, this would mean a life of self-sacrifice, a life of following in the way of his hero, Jesus, unto death, right? Jesus is telling them, this is the way you're going to die, but you're going to die gloriously, right? You're going to die gloriously for something far better, laying down his life for the church and for the world, like Jesus himself. This is the essence of holiness. Peter is the one who's going to remind the church, right? Be holy, like I am holy in his letter. 
Because Peter is going to live a life of laying down his life. That's what holiness looks like, right? So, like, let's try and deconstruct all the wrong understanding of holiness. Like, you have to perform before other people. It's just a lie from the enemy. Holiness is being so filled with the love of Jesus that you lay down your life to serve him and everybody else. And so, therefore, it will affect your behavior. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Right? So if you say you love Jesus and it doesn't transfer into your life, the Bible's quite clear at questioning that love. It's pretty plain on that. So if we, which is why Peter needed to have the question asked to him, like maybe we two tonight, three times. Do you love me? Do you trust my love? And so what I feel as 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 I just you know, just last few things to say. God, I believe tonight, is calling us as a people to reorder our loves. Last quote, St. Augustine, great, <coughs> great suit of the church, said this, it's very profound when you think of it. The essence of sin is disordered love, right? So therefore, every time we sin, it's partly because we just don't love Jesus enough. And so our loves get disordered because the affections of our heart are actually tethered to other things. You see, we're, we're so, um, as a society and as a culture, actually the way we're brought through school is we're defined by what we know, not by what we love. So we ask the question, what do you know? We employ people on what they know. Da, da, da. And I'm not saying that's all wrong, but I'm just saying that's how we understand it. Well, the Bible actually espouses a whole different way of humanity. It's what you love. What is the deep desire of your heart? So lots of people come into church on Sunday and go, me included, and go, that was a really good sermon. I really got that in my head. But by Tuesday, nothing's changed. Why? Because there's something that your heart is tethered to that you love more than the word of God and who Jesus is. I'm talking to myself first and foremost. Do you understand what I mean? So we define ourselves by what we think in our heads, which is important to love God with all your mind. But actually what Jesus is always after is, do you love me? What is your heart tethered to? What is your heart hanging? So the essence of sin is disordered love. When our loves are disordered, then it will result in behaviors that are selfish that are self-serving, that are self-grandizing, all of those kind of things. And so tonight, I think there is an opportunity for us to lay our lives before Jesus again and to give him all of the affections of our heart. And to do that, sometimes you have to go back to that passage in that revelation. And so consider how far you've fallen. Consider, consider tonight. Consider what has distracted you, what has tied your heart up with loves that are more important than Jesus. And they're not necessarily always that obvious. Sometimes they are. That's why we need to have people that reflect often and put ourselves before the Lord. The revival people order their hearts around the love of Jesus. Disordered love means that we love less important things more. And more important things less than we ought to. It's basically it.
And this wrong prioritization actually leads to unhappiness. It leads to damage and it leads to destruction. It leads to disorder. And the reason, like you only have to work, look out into the world without getting off on another one tonight. But the reality is people want to talk about love in the world, but it's so disordered, isn't it? Like it's so disordered. Like the word world love is used in the Bible, or sorry, is used in the world today. It's so disordered. And it, it's, it, that's why we almost need to start again to redefine it when we come into church. Because people are so polluted by what love means in the world. That when we talk about it in here, you have to kind of start by deconstructing all the kind of nonsense that's actually filled their heads. And it's not even just meaningless. It's actually damaging people and destroying people's lives. The way people are talking about love and what love is, right? And whatever Hollywood makes it, and whatever kind of Netflix makes it, and whatever kind of like, you know, the reality is the spirit of the age has deceived the minds of people to think that love is a certain thing when it's not, and it just leaves you damaged and broken and empty and hollow. And that kind of thing that told you that this was going to give you happiness and fulfillment and joy and made you flutter a little bit inside and got you chocolates at Valentine's Day or whatever, actually left you really damaged and lonely and, and hollow. Because that's disordered love. And the world doesn't know what love is really today. And the problem is the church needs to show the world what rightly ordered love looks like. And if it can, then we've got a chance of winning the world again. But the reason that the world isn't seeing it is because the church isn't necessarily loving Jesus with everything that they are. Which is why... We're back to that whole idea of a remnant being set apart, wholehearted, and white-hot love for Jesus. And he asks us tonight as we finish, do you love me? And then he asks you again, do you love me? And then he asks you one more time, do you love me? the band will come and get ready. Why don't we just bow our heads tonight? feel like the Lord wants to release um, something, this is something that we have to work at, I just want to be very clear in it, it's something that we have to make choices in our lives about in order to reorder our love you know, to give up some things and to give more of our time and attention to loving on Jesus, so I just want to be very clear in that, we did a whole series last year called the practices for this very reason that we could learn how to practice 
spending time in the presence of Jesus and to have our hearts tethered to him more than anything else. And so I just want to be very, very clear on that. But I also want to say that the Spirit of God is here tonight. And we sung earlier with one miraculous breath, we're forever changed. And I really feel tonight that the Holy Spirit's breath is here to release and impart fresh love for Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for that in a moment. But just before we do that, I just really feel I want to give an opportunity to respond to those people, particularly when we spoke about that sense of failure and shame that we feel, or the part of us that's felt really convicted tonight that Jesus wants to ask us that question again, do you love me? Because we've maybe felt distracted with stuff in our lives or, you know, just like something's just got a little bit too much space in our heart at the moment and you just know it. And it's not like I'm saying like that necessarily is some big bad sin you've done, but you just, you know, know that there's something that's just got a little bit too much in your heart and you just, you want to give it back to Jesus tonight. You want you want to return to first love. I'd, I'd just love to give you a chance to kind of, in a safe space tonight, nobody knows needs to know exactly what you're dealing with, but I'd love to give you a chance to kind of expose that tonight by just standing. You, 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 you know what it is, but I just, if you feel like, Jesus, I just I want to feel your love right down into the core of who I am. I just, I'd, love to, I'd love to pray for you tonight, so if you want to stand just in these moments, just as a as a response to what Jesus has been saying, just do that. Come on, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on, seconds. This is, one, this is one of these ones we shouldn't necessarily <coughs> rush a decision, but just as we consider as we consider the distance that's crept in and the Lord just gently draws us back to himself and just, the Lord's just speaking to you tonight, just when you're ready, if you want to stand I'm going to pray over you in a moment in these moments, if there's a place in your heart that you just feel 
me some, particularly for those of you who are feeling like a lingering kind of shame and fear of failure. Or, or just something, it might even be just a general sense of distraction. I just want you in these moments to hear the words of Jesus. He doesn't actually, he doesn't want to necessarily have a big conversation about your sin. Not that that's not, not that that's unimportant. He, he sees it, he knows it anyway. And here's his question to you today. Do you love me? Do you love me? So you, you answer that question today. Just tell him. Just tell him. really feeling fear tonight I just want you to, just want you to hear the words of Jesus again do you love me and just as you respond to that I just want you to see like a I can just see a picture of like a big rubber just like rubbing out rubbing out the, the letters of fear just rubbing them out thank you your spirit's here, Lord, and it's not a spirit of fear. So we just agree and partner with truth tonight and say that this is not a your spirit that's in the room tonight is not a fear. And so, Lord, any fear that's in the room tonight, we just say, get out now in Jesus' name. Get out of this place. Get off the sons and daughters of God. Get out of this church. You're not welcome here. You don't belong here. We don't want you in this place. Be gone now in Jesus' name. We apply the blood of Jesus. If you're in that place tonight and you have partnered with fear, you just need to repent of that in these moments, not give the enemy any legal right to kind of traffic with fear. Just, just confess before the Lord your fear tonight. Just confess it before the Lord. Just feel his love. Power and love and of a sound mind. Just release that tonight in this place in Jesus' name. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Power and love and of a sound mind in Jesus' name. And now, <clears throat> what I want you to, f I want you just to allow yourself to experience this tonight because I feel the Holy Spirit wants you to know that as you respond to the words of Jesus, do you love me? I just want you to look in his face and I want you to see in his face an expression that says, that's enough. That's more than enough. I see your heart. I know your heart. I know your desire. That response that you've given me, Jesus, you know all things. And you know, despite my imperfection, that I love you. I just feel the power of love that's flowing from his face into every part of your being, into every part of your mind into every part of your soul. Come, Lord Jesus, with your forgiveness, Lord. 
thank you for what you have done for us at the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that it means for us, oh God. Thank you that you could say it like this, and it was enough because of the cross, Jesus. Because you bore it all, and you conquered it all, and you won a great victory, Lord. For all mankind and all the earth, and for each of us individually, God. And so, Lord Jesus, tonight we pray that your love, God, would just pour into every single heart tonight, God, in Jesus' name. Come, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.